Welcome back to Salted Hash. My name is Steve Reagan with CSO Online. Today we're going to be talking about things that frighten IT administrators. We'll be right back. Hey, thanks for joining us. So um, today in the studio, I actually have a guest. We have the senior editor for CSO Online, Michael Nadeau. How are you, Michael? I'm good, Steve. Excellent. Thanks for coming to hang out with us. I appreciate it. No problem. We're going to be talking about things that scare administrators. And this is kind of a relevant topic because yesterday was Halloween, oddly enough. And aside from my presence scaring everyone in the studio, because, you know, that's just the way things are, App River sent us a list of things that uh, they came up with after talking to some of their customers and a few people at conferences around the world. So we're going to start by uh, everybody's favorite topic. It's one that's been in the headline news now for the past couple of months. It's um, ransomware. Mm-hmm. So we have a couple of different variants of ransomware. We've got Locky. Locky came and went, and then it came right back. So it's like the ever-revolving door. Um, here recently, we had the uh, Bad Rabbit mm-hmm. ransomware outbreak over in Russia and the Ukraine. So that was that was um, very interesting for the most part that it just seemed to focus on one particular region. It comes off as a very targeted attack. So uh, with ransomware, what do you think? Well, I... I- when you think about ra- ransomware, there's nothing more scary than all of a sudden finding you have no access to your data or your websites down or, or whatever. I mean, that that's uh, not only scary to administrators, it it uh, to the to the executive team too. It's also yeah. very very frightening. The the uh, flip side to that though is it doesn't have to be as scary as it is, mm-hmm. because uh, you can recover from from ransomware if. You've you've got a good backup policy, but also you can also minimize the impact w- with g- with good good training, and yep. and by good training I mean something that's that's uh, clearly explains what ransomware is, how to identify it, how to how to react to it when 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 you see it, but it can't be a one and done. No, it's no. it's got to be <clears throat> ongoing. It's got to be constant, and and there's got to be. Uh, you know, encouragement and, and incentive from from IT and management for employees to, to continue to, to pre- do good absolutely, practice. absolutely. That's the the thing with um, a lot of awareness programs. It seems to be done like just you know quarterly or annually. When a lot of times that's just not enough, especially if you have a lot of high turnover, mm-hmm. say uh, industrial base and, and things like that, where there's employees coming and going all the time, or a lot of contractors, for example. Um, sticking to your point of awareness training, you know, identifying what ransomware looks like. A lot of times with ransomware, you don't know you've been infected until you get that frightening, that that just heart-stopping image on your screen, usually a changed background. I think you saw the video we made here in the studio mm-hmm. last year yes. about infecting this with Locky. And that that message is what stops hearts. Like you see that and you just know it's game over because at that point, you know, most IT people, they're going to see a message like that on a user's computer, and their first thought is, did we back that up? 
do we have bad? And, and yeah. it, we joke, we giggle when we hear that. And and the thing is, it's because to most of us, it is kind of funny because we all know that you should be making backups. But here's the secret. Here's the secret that most IT people won't tell you. We are horrible at taking our own, own advice. We really are. And so that's why you see backups as a major roadblock at a lot of, of, of times because we, we tell you to back things up and then we forget to do our own backups or worse. We make backups, but we never test them. We don't know if they're valid. Mm. And that's where a lot of people get hit with ransomware. That's why it hurts the most is because you took your backups, but you never tested them. Mm. Or in the, the case of the, uh, the gentleman we interviewed uh, during DerbyCon earlier this summer, uh, if you remember, he had um, his backups. He had multiple snapshots. I mean, he had a great backup system. And then the second ransomware attack he faced, it targeted his backups. And that's where he learned the lesson to keep backups offsite as well as yeah. on site so that he can always have something to fall back on. So the other thing that, that came up on this list was insider threats. Um, so you hear that word bandied about a lot. It, it, it makes it seem like it's it's a lot worse than it is. But I think a lot of times the insider threat or the insider risk that that people are are talking about are unintentional acts. Right. They're not in. You accidentally sent that Excel file with all the important data to the wrong person. Well, that's a data breach technically. So that is, mm-hmm. you know, a bad thing. And technically, that's an insider threat. But what do you think about that? Well, I agree. I, I think the, the unintentional uh, breaches from insiders is, is far more prevalent than, than mm-hmm. the intentional breaches. Uh, and in both cases, um, I, I, think, I think there are tools available to help minimize that, where you could, th- that you can identify behavior. Part of the, the problem of, of, of identifying an insider breach is that usually the, the information's there, the, the, the uh, uh, people s- spot or people doing suspicious or, or, or wrong actions, mm-hmm. but they don't put the pieces together because they're only seeing one, one part of it. Mm-hmm. So there, there are tools, for example, somebody, somebody logs into a computer that they, tries to log into a computer that they don't have uh, <coughs> privileges to, uh, and, or the, and, they're, and they're coming in at an unusual time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can tr- track all that on on the network and and uh, create rules uh, uh, to identify actions that that or series of actions that aren't supposed to happen, and then also have uh, have the uh, the tool t- take a counteraction, whether it's reporting or or um, or a, a halting access to, to a certain file. Mm-hmm. I think uh, another thing when it comes to to UBA type devices is it's really hard to establish on a, a very large network you know mm-hmm. for the small businesses this isn't that big of a problem but to get that solid baseline so that when something abnormal happens it stands out right I think a lot of people struggle with that because at times it's really hard to see what's normal and what's not mm-hmm. if you're not familiar with the network if you don't know where your assets are if you don't know who your people are that's that could be a a, a, a really big hurdle to overcome, but I agree with you. You know, there there are ways to deal with that, and you know, we're, we're both on the same page. When I think it's a lot of unintentional stuff, and I mean, mm-hmm. there are actual malicious insiders. There are people whose only goal is to try and wreck you from within. That's mm-hmm. not a an unknown. But I think those types of acts are going to be easier to spot. 
I honestly think it, it would probably be easier for you to detect someone who's going out of their way to cause harm versus someone who did right. it accidentally. Because going back to the early example of accidentally, you know, throwing up a an Excel file with some sensitive stuff, and we we email it to Chris accidentally over there behind the the the, the TVs. We we literally, you know, that we're used to sending files. The norm for us is sending files back and forth all day long. So mm-hmm. that's an accidental share. To whereas if an employee who never downloads files or never sends suddenly they're getting like fifty different email attaches attachments in a single day, that's an issue. Mm-hmm. That that would probably be easier to spot, which actually this leads us into our next thing um, of data breaches. And I was a little surprised to see that on AppRiver's uh, list because while data breaches are scary, I think these days we live in an age to where data breaches are inevitable. Mm-hmm. It's just going to happen. So we have to prepare for them. It's not a matter of when, it's it's or if rather, it's when. You know, when is it your turn and what are you going to do about it? Now, earlier before we started recording, uh, I know you had some thoughts on on data breaches. and I really liked them when I was reading them over. So let's let's bounce this one over to you. What do you think? Well, I I think what's scary about data breaches for the for the security professional and for the company is the loss of reputation, Mm -hmm. the loss of trust. What is what does that mean? Not just in terms of of the of the uh, damage to the assets or or financials, it's it's what's what's the what's the personal and and the and the business cost, and uh, I I think the best way to deal with that is to respond well. Yeah, uh, you uh, uh, and and companies that have been breached recently, like Equifax, is the prime example. Uh, you know, they sh- they shot themselves in the foot with the breach in the first place. Then they <laughs> pretty much put a gun to their head yes. with the way they responded to it, and uh, they they just made it worse and worse and worse with every step that they took. Yeah. So uh, the key is communication. Uh, when when you get breached, especially if it involves like customer information, people want to know what happened, what you're doing about it. What what you're going to do uh, to keep it from happening in the future, uh, and uh, that's that's a very basic thing. And I, I think uh, companies sometimes think, well, you know, you know, if we th- they're hesitant to give that information out because they mm-hmm. might not be have it all, or they might feel it might reflect badly on them. But they, they they've got to do it, and um, uh, I, I I think that's the key. And uh, when you look at it from a professional pr- perspective, companies that are hiring security professionals like it when they see somebody who's gone through a breach and has come out well on the other side. That that t- to them that's that's a value add. Yep, yep. I think the the frustrating thing about this, which is why I really like the the whole reputation thing that you brought up, was <clears throat> in some of these cases where companies have clearly had a massive data breach and it, it's cleared that they share some blame in what mm-hmm. happens. I mean, I'm not big on victim blaming, blaming, but there are times when you kind of have to. You can't ignore that elephant mm-hmm. in the room. They have a small dip in, like, public reputation and everything like that, and, like, you'll see, like, stock impact and things, and then suddenly they bounce right back. Mm-hmm. That frustrates me because I honestly think that, you know, why did confidence come back so quickly when, you know, there, there is clearly something wrong, but the point you make is valid. Mm-hmm. When they come out on the other side and they can see that they recognize they screwed up and they're they're trying to do better, 
that's rewarded in a sense by, you know, gaining in in confidence. So I I, I completely understand that point now. And that's why Um, we talked about it earlier. Uh, Another point in that that list they shot over to us was uh, global outbreaks. And we'll 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 circle back to it briefly. But when it comes to global outbreaks, I don't think there is a lot you can do about it. in WannaCry and, you know, most recently Bad Rabbit mm-hmm. and everything like that, it was bad hygiene that led to a lot of the problems at these organizations, um, like SMB being enabled, things like that. But my point when I think of, of issues like this is that's where organizations need to focus on incident response and speeding up the process of recovery. How quickly can you get back to business? Mm-hmm. How quickly can business, you know, continue? If you keep that time really low, it won't matter what kind of outbreak you're hitting. Mm-hmm. But also it goes back to focusing on, you know, again, the basics, you know, why do you need to have all these shares open? Why do you need to have so many people with access to so many parts of the network? Why isn't, why isn't segmentation a thing? Why isn't compensating controls a thing? And if, if they, if they exist on your network, why then did this happen? Where's the gap that you need to fix? I think there's a lot of, of internal talks that need to, to happen to get some of this stuff mm-hmm. addressed, but I'm curious as to your thoughts on like the whole. Well, I, I, I really agree with what you say. It's, it's uh, with the global threats, there's usually some new component that, that hasn't been seen before. Uh, and, uh, that, and that's one of the reasons that they can execute it on, on a large scale. So it's it's really about you know preparing, testing, uh, and and simulating. You know, how are you going to respond uh, uh, to to some large uh, unknown breach? Just uh, and and not only just how the security and IT teams respond, but but all the uh, stakeholders in the business. Yeah. So <clears throat> we've talked about. Internal metrics, businesses, and how the business deals with things. And one of the key components to that is actually on our list, and it's funding. Mm-hmm. It's essentially getting what you need to get the job done. And unfortunately, in a lot of places, funding is a big, big problem. And it's not so much funding for a given project or a given product. It's funding for basically architecting an entire system. And that can that funding can include, you know, staffing needs, it can mm-hmm. include, you know, licenses as well. But when it comes to the the funding, a lot of shops are make do with less. Right. And I think that's going to be probably in the next five or ten years, you know, without getting too too soapy, I think the uh, the, the problem with funding is going to get worse because as things ramp up, expenses will go with it. And I think we're going to see a problem to where some of these shops are literally going to have to choose between A and B. Yes. And that's where risk, you know, risk management's going to come in and assessments on that front because they're literally going to have to pick their poison and mm-hmm. deal with the fallout should it ever come. But what do you think? What, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I, I think uh, on this list, this is one of the scariest uh, things for management and but they probably won't see it that way because when you, when you you're in an environment where you're constantly under underfunding what you need for for security that's going to create a morale problem with with your security team yep. and that's going to translate into turnover yep. and if you've got a reputation for 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 not funding for penny pinching 
then you're going to have a hard time replacing those people. And that just turns into a vicious cycle where you're, you're getting essentially more and more vulnerable as, as you underfund and, and are un- understaffed. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think you also have to make a distinction between uh, underfunding because you just don't have the resources and underfunding because you don't care. Yeah. Uh, if, if you're underfunding because you don't, just don't have the resources, then it, it's got to be a, a team effort and t- to do what you're talking about in that where do you, where do you put the resources? Mm. The, the security team needs to be involved. IT needs to be involved. It needs to be, everybody needs to feel like they've got part of that decision. Yeah. So <clears throat> I'm going to bounce this one over to you. The next thing that, that came in on the list was uh, business email compromise and phishing attacks. And mm-hmm. we have been dealing at CSO for, for what, three, four weeks now, mm-hmm. maybe even longer, a very sustained phishing attack against a few of us. And we're, we're going we're gonna to talk about that one later. I've, I've got something for that. But the uh, the funny thing about it is it's it's very much a real threat, and eventually what's going to happen? And I'm I'm fully aware of this. Eventually, what's going to happen? One of those attacks will work. Mm-hmm. We're going to see something like that work. So now the question is, is how do we recover? So what are your thoughts on the the, the phishing stuff? I I, I think this uh, goes goes back to training and also uh, uh, being aware of who are the most likely people who are, who are going to be targeted. And sometimes, sometimes that's, that's management. And those are occasionally the, the hardest people to, to get on board in terms of uh, learning how to, how to recognize uh, a, a targeted attack like that. Um, but they, ha- they need to understand that, you know, first of all, that they're, they're vulnerable. And second of all, they're setting an example for everybody yep. else. Mm-hmm. So, I think the thing that, that impresses me most. So we have a um, we have an awareness training culture where I work, and we have uh, awareness programs. But here's the thing: corporate policy prevents me from telling you about them. I'm not allowed to discuss what we do with training and awareness. But I can tell you this: the awareness program that we run with are tailored to us, not just individually, but as a group. So our marketing and salespeople get a different type of awareness training than the editors and some of the freelance writers get. Um, I can tell you that for the senior, the senior staff type of, of awareness training, what I get and go through on a monthly basis is impressive <laughs> on the scale of that they send me tricks that, that I have fallen for in the past, and that's the way it's supposed to be. I, I won't learn if I don't fail. But it, it, it's very interesting, the fact that, you know, we have this culture where if you fall for a phishing attack, don't, don't be frightened. Don't be scared. It'll mm-hmm. happen. Report it. And there's a process in place to deal with that. Mm-hmm. So I'm not frightened when I see these email attacks. And while eventually I know one of them's going to get me, even though we're getting better at better and spotting these attempts as they come in, I'm not worried about losing my job. I'm not worried about exposing, you know, sensitive things because... Once I realize I've been caught, one phone call is all it takes, and IT is going to fix that problem for mm-hmm. us. And that makes me comfortable. And I think that's where a lot of organizations could really shine when it comes to this type of stuff. Just make your employees comfortable. Let them come to you. 
Mm-hmm. Don't don't be afraid to make mistakes because that's how we get better, especially when it comes to technology. And I think that's where a lot of awareness programs fall short. Right. So, yeah. It, it, but but here lately, what we've been seeing that's why seeing this on the list is just it's just amazing. Like uh, yesterday, we got a an email that came to us. Um, I got it. I think I think Amy got it, and it was uh, the one where our passwords have all mm-hmm. been compromised. So we get this email that comes in and says your Microsoft Outlook uh, 365 account has been compromised. So we have to, you know, follow the links. And when you go, it's this generic looking Outlook login portal and it's wanting our credentials. But the thing is, when that comes in, you can see if you look at the headers and everything in the email, the email itself came from a another compromised company. These are legit firms emailing us. And that's why they're some of them are passing all the reputation checks. And it's just the template of the email itself that makes it stand out as malicious. That's why we're able to spot them so quickly. But eventually what's going to happen is some of these patterns are going to to shift and they're going to stop targeting Outlook but get us to open files or something like mm-hmm. that. And as journalists, our job all day is to open files open doc attachments, open PDF files. And while none of us are going to start clicking on macros, we're not going to enable that stuff. That that goes against everything we know. What if the PDF has a dropper and it's an O-day and there's nothing we can do about it? That's it. We're toast. That's done. Which leads us to another point. State-sponsored attacks. What do you do when your adversary has nothing but unlimited funds and unlimited amounts of time to target you? Nothing. There's nothing you can do about this. It doesn't matter what kind of security setup you have. It doesn't matter how good mm-hmm. your security people are. If a state decide, a state, if a government, a, a, an actual country decides to come after you, if the intelligence services of Russia decide to come after you or China decide to come after you, you're toast. Just accept it. You're, you're done. There's nothing you can do to stop that. There's very little mitigation. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, if they control all of their assets the same way and they direct them towards you. I mean, think about it. At this point, incident response is pretty much just knowing the signs of when you've been popped is pretty much all you can do because you're not going to stop that. And know who to call. Yeah, know who and when. And not just uh, professional help, but also who in in law enforcement and intelligence uh, you you need to get in touch with. Mm -hmm. I think there's there's been a, a, a... big initiative lately for local law enforcement to be brought up to speed in a lot of, of different um, web-based incidents, you know, either being mm-hmm. network compromise or website compromise. And that's because, by and large, law enforcement's really good at physical, like, hit-you-over-the-head crime. Mm-hmm. They can they can solve that. But when it comes to, to the digital realm, you know, that type of crime is still very confusing. And even for the FBI, you know, eventually you'll ratchet up to their level depending on what's going on, they may not have time for you. So there's been a really big push to get local law enforcement involved to where laws at, at the, the county and state level can be changed that would help them a deal and address mm-hmm. with this. Because right now, like, if we suffered a data breach right here in this building, we can call the Framingham police, but they wouldn't have a clue. They would know what was going on, and they would probably tell us to call the FBI, in which case the FBI would look at us and say, well, how much was lost? All right, well, well, here's a case number. We'll get back to you because they've got bigger fish to fry. They're not going to worry about mm-hmm. it, you know, a little small-time thing. So the final thing that came on to um, 
came onto the list was APTs. Mm-hmm. And I'm not a fan of that term. I'm just not a fan of that term. Uh, it stands for Advanced Persistent Threat. And nine times out of ten, it's nothing advanced at all. And about the only thing that really is consistent is the persistence because mm-hmm. it's somebody that, that you know keeps going after you. But I think what makes it worse is that particular topic comes with a lot of FUD, fear, uncertainty, doubt, a lot of snake oil. Uh, vendors trip all over themselves to sell you next gen APT advanced recovery protection defense mechanisms that you can slap in a rack and it'll just guard you from all the APTs of APTs. And then you get popped by a phishing email from China and suddenly your APT is no longer defensible. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I see it. I see why it's on the list. I see why it is a fear for some organizations because there are organizations where nation state attacks are very much their threat model. But I think for the bulk of us, Mm -hmm. the rest of us normies, the the ones who, you know, just grind away in our cubes, APTs are not in our wheelhouse. We don't have to worry about that. No, uh, I do think it's, it's okay to be paranoid about them. Uh, yeah, and uh, the paranoia should lead you to, to find some reasonable protect, lead you to put some reasonable protections in place. But what really worries me about APTs is not the big companies that have the resources to to identify them. It's the smaller companies that probably do business with the bigger companies yeah. that a lot of a lot of att- attackers are now targeting. Mm-hmm. And these are companies that they, maybe they have one or two people on their IT and security teams. Um, That's assuming they have yeah. them at all. Yeah, right. <laughs> assuming that they have have them at all. So if if there's a uh, somebody targeting them, uh, they could be in that 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 uh, system for quite some time, and and also gain access to other companies as a result. Now, fortunately, there there are uh, some cloud-based services coming out that are targeting these smaller companies now, uh, to to provide some some of the some of the services that that they uh, they couldn't otherwise afford. And also, uh, you're seeing a lot more uh, you know, MSSPs uh, coming on board. Yeah. And basically, uh, it's it's basically a security team for hire. Anything in particular stand out to you that you've seen? It's uh, what I what I like about the MSSPs is uh, usually they, they partner with, with some software firm, usually a cloud service provider, and they go into the organization and they, they basically give you a virtual CISO, yeah, who goes in and does an assessment, saying, okay, this is where you're probably going to have a problem. This is where you want to concentrate. This is how we think you need to be setting up your network, and this is what we're going to do, and they generally uh, set up a a, a a stage plan because yeah. you know budgets usually uh, restrict what they can do all at once. Where where they they create an endpoint. This is where we're going to get you to, and this is what we're going to how we're going to manage it once we get you to that point. Makes sense. Makes a lot of sense. Well, Michael, thanks for joining me today. I really do appreciate it. If you'd like to keep up with us as we cover all the things that keep administrators frightened, you can stay tuned to CSOonline.com where we will bring you stuff every week. I'm Steve Reagan, and this has been Salted Hash. Thanks for watching.